0: Uh, Yes, you know what that music means. Welcome back into another episode of UAP, the Unidentified Alien Podcast. It's Steven Diener here getting ready to talk to you about golden blood and alien engineering. This is a really interesting one today. A lot to say about this in this episode 64 of UAP. And it feels great to be back with a new episode, especially with one that really, I got to tell you, so many of you have reached out to me about, you know, to say how excited you are to hear about this particular subject because I've kind of been teasing it for the past couple weeks a little bit on social media because today we are going to be digging into this blood type that you may not have heard about before but that a small percentage of the population actually has. It's called RH negative blood or more commonly referred to in some circles as golden blood. And we're going to talk about how it might relate to some pretty interesting things. But before we get into that, let's first enjoy our factoid. And today, I I know I've said this before about different things, but today it really is an absolute doozy. Factoid. It's a new production. Look at that. But you were expecting that, did you? How do you like it? So, just something I came up with on my own. We'll see if I keep it. Um, now, this... I. I Again, I have to tell you, admittedly, it's going to be a little tricky to go through this factoid because the factoid today is actually a personal account that uh, comes to us from someone in the military. So just to kind of set the mood here for you, when I got this message, it gave me chills for a couple of reasons. One of them being because of the details that surround the the story and the circumstances and also... Because of who sent it to me. Now, when I say who, what I mean by that is just, you know, the the, the stature of this person in, in the military, for them to, you know, have the confidence in me, in the show, to send me their story, which just, again, absolutely blew me away. I, I've, you know, I can't say enough how much I appreciate that. So I'm going to give this account to you that I received and I was, you know, got clearance from this person in the military to give this account to you here on this episode, but again, I have to avoid any names, locations, things like that because, um, you know, their active nature of being uh, in in the military, their active duty situation, I should say. So I'm going to do some word crafting here so I don't betray that trust, you know, with the story that they told me. So here's what we got. They reached out to me. They said they were kind of reluctant to do so because they're active military, but they let me know that, They're a couple, husband and wife. They said that they're both stationed, I'll just say, within the United States. I won't give a specific location. Um, But they both work, you know, in uh, some pretty heavy-duty stuff, you know, helicopter pilots, special operations, things like that. And they've been in the military for a while, you know, long enough to know what's going on. So we'll see that, okay? Now... They know a lot about aviation, okay? They're both into, you know, like uh, just a lot, like I said, pilots. Uh, you know, they've done a lot of skydiving, obviously, when it comes to the military service. So these are things that they know about when it comes to the military careers. They're experts in this area when it comes to aviation, things to look for, you know, details to know exactly what they're looking at. So they tell me that they become fascinated with the UAP topics since having their own swarm Again, their words, swarm of UAPs pass right over the base that they were stationed at and then over their home as well. They said that they were out in the back one night having a bonfire and they saw something strange. Again, they stressed to me that their training prepares them to be able to identify things in the sky. You know, to look at things like uh, survivability. Is it friend or foe? Do you engage And again, their words, they say that they were jaw dropped at what they saw. Their reaction, they were kind of, you know, upset because their kids were upset. So they tried to tell them a little quick story, but they knew in the back of their heads what they saw was not normal. And to them, seasoned military professionals, they could not identify what they were seeing. So, given their active-duty situation. They obviously have different back channels and things that they can work through that you or I don't have access to that they were able to use to do a massive amount of research, they say to me. And they say, given that access, they were assured, through looking all the facts that they could find, that what they saw, again, this is according to the military contact that reached out to me here. That's why I'm being so careful in choosing my words. I'm sorry if it sounds vague, but I'm trying not to give too many personal details from the message. And said what they saw was not made from the from this earth. That is their words, military contact that sent this message to me. They have told me there in that message that the UAPs that they saw fly over their base that they're stationed at and their own home. Everything they know about aviation and military and capabilities of our own country, the United States, and other countries, friend or foe, and the research that they're able to do through their own military channels their conclusion was that it is not of this earth and that's why this story took me back so much when i got it that's why i got chills because i'm sitting here reading this and i thought wow here's someone that this isn't a story that you know i'm presenting to you a story that i heard 20 years ago about somebody who got abducted and has been lost in translation through different publications and reports and interviews this is a a a, a an account a personal account that i got from someone in the military telling me this happened and that's the, the conclusion that they came to, that it was not of this earth. And that gave me chills. So just incredible. You, again, you know who you are. If you're listening to this episode, thank you for, again, trusting me enough to give that story. And um, there might be more to this, actually, as we go forward. You might be able to hear something from this person or people uh, in that case, when it comes to the couple, maybe just one of them, we'll see. Uh, we've been in contact uh, through messaging about possibly uh, further exploring the story together on future episodes of UAP, which another little teaser you might be able to do. I'm working on some things on the back end where you might be able to actually come on this show in the future. Um, and give your own personal accounts. So I'll give you more details about that once I have it all set up and get some things figured out. I'll give you all the details once once I know. But there's something else interesting that he told me as well. He actually sent me a, a little clip of one of the UAPs that he saw, and he noticed that there were no contrails to it, and he mentioned that it was cold outside. So since it was cold out, that it would mean that you would see some type of contrails in the sky, but there were none. So that also kind of gave him, plus they saw different dynamic maneuvers. We've talked about, you know, the observabilities before, as far as instantaneous acceleration, you know, the, the dynamic maneuvers that these UAP produce as far as, you know, sudden left and right angles or, you know, sudden speed, like we said, the instantaneous acceleration. So he saw some of those things, and that's what kind of gave him a clue of, you know what, I need to look into this more. And that, like I said, they came to the conclusion that it was none of this earth. So take that for what you will. That's a personal account that I got from one of our listeners of UAP, military personnel telling me that story. Blew me away, <laughs> I'm being honest. So again, thank you for that story. You know who you are. Thank you. So as we begin exploring the subject now of what the episode is, RH Negative Blood, and its fascinating possibilities and possible conclusions that we can draw from this, I want to also say a big thank you to... Um, everybody who's reached out to me about this because I've gotten multiple messages about, hey, have you heard about this? So you gave me kind of the inspiration to really dig into this um, and focus on this subject. But one person in particular, and that's one of our listeners, Heather, who first reached out to me about this and said, hey, you know, you might want to look into this because here's how I experienced having RH negative blood. So thank you to Heather. Again, you know, another one of our listeners felt comfortable enough to reach out to me and tell me about your own personal experience Because she has RH negative blood and she told me what that was like for her and just to have that personally to find out about it and what it did for her while she was pregnant. So we're going to get into all of that and how it affects pregnancy as well. But great hearing from all of you on this. Really excited to dig into it. So that said, let's get into it right now. Cover the basics first, I think. I think that's where we should start. What is RH negative blood or just RH blood in general? Let's find out. Human blood types are grouped into four distinct designations that include O, A, B, and AB. Additionally, there is another variance between blood types known as the Rh factor, or rhesus factor, which is a measure of rhesus-based antigens in the blood. All right, so without getting too heady here, I'm not going to you know, have a biology class or anything like that, but I'll give you the definition. This is straight from the Red Cross website, okay? This is This is how they define RH blood. It says the positive or negative sign next to the blood groups is known as the rhesus factor. Which, by the way, side note, they call it rhesus, which is the RH because RH is the first two letters in the word rhesus. It comes from rhesus monkeys. They actually discovered this RH factor, this rhesus factor in rhesus monkeys, so they named it after that. So they say the Rh factor is an inherited protein that can be found on the surface of the red blood cell. Okay, Red Cross site goes on to say that if your blood type is positive, then your blood cells have the Rh protein. Whereas if your blood type is negative, you will not have this protein. And so that's kind of just like the layman terms explanation, I think, of what that means. So that's why when you hear about, you know, blood type or if you know your own blood type, you hear about O positive, O negative – that's where it comes from. Negative refers to if you don't if you do not have this recess factor. So that's why knowing your blood type is so important when it comes to things like blood transfusions and things like that, because you can't receive positive blood if you're RH negative. Your body will actually see the positive antigens as a threat and try to destroy it. So uh, you can see how that can be dangerous. Also, like we said earlier, this could complicate pregnancies like we heard from our listener Heather when she told me about her own complications that she had. Thankfully, everybody's fine. Her kids are fine, so nothing's wrong there. But women with Rh-negative blood need special care and medications during their pregnancies to protect the baby who may have Rh-positive blood for that reason. If you were going to get a blood transfusion of Rh-positive blood, you would die So, if you're Rh-negative. So if you're having a baby and your baby is RH positive, you need that special attention, the medications and things like that and monitoring to make sure that your body doesn't attack the baby growing inside of you and destroy the baby, destroy the pregnancy. So that's something that is uh, you know fascinating in itself just when you look at you know the, the biological composition of how this works. Now, what makes this blood type so rare is that only 15% of people throughout the entire world have it. And oddly enough, the first humans were known to have this blood type were Europeans, dating back to the 1400s, or so they say, anyway. We'll come back to that point in a minute. I want you to remember that, okay? But first, there's a few more interesting differences between people who have the RH-positive blood and people without it having the RH-negative blood. Listen to a couple of these differences. Fascinating. Fascinating. And also, studies of RH negatives suggest that they have lower than normal blood pressure, lower than normal pulse. In number of cases, they have an extra vertebra in their back. Whoa, wait, okay, so you probably caught that, because if you're like me, that's the one that stood out to me was the extra vertebrae thing. Now, it is in fact true, not in all cases, but in some cases... Of that 15% who have this, you know, so-called golden blood, the Rh negative blood, some are indeed born with an extra vertebrae. That is a scientific fact. Now, that said, one claim that I cannot prove but is worth mentioning is that some people even say that a rare condition of being born with a physical tail, this yes, an actual tail, is connected to this extra vertebrae, having that, that extra vertebrae because it would show up in the tailbone areas, so to speak. That comes along with having this negative Rh factor, so they could possibly all combine there, having this negative Rh factor, which would give you these, this this extra vertebrae, this extra tailbone, and they say some people with this extra tailbone are have been born with actual physical tails. You can make of that what you will, but there really are people. This it is true. If you've never seen it before, it's pretty wild. There are people who have been born with this type of mutation they're born with a physical tail coming out of their tailbone area so could there be a connection there yeah sure there could be is there i'm not sure that i can't be sure of but it sure is interesting to think about as far as how how those you know details all come together would having rh negative blood actually increase your chances for some reason ...of having a physical tail coming out of your tailbone. There might be something to... I don't know. But uh, we'll get to all that as well. You you, You be the judge of all that. It's pretty wild though. What I do know is this. There really is not any clear indicator as to why or how this negative blood even began in humans. Going back to a previous point. This negative blood here is said to have its origins possibly date back to the 15th century in Europe... Like I said, you know, remember that, that fact there because it does play a big factor in this whole scientific study. Consider this point, okay, as we search for the answers. If you consider that the origins of RH negative blood date back to around 14th century Europe, think about that as you hear this. RH negative didn't exist in the Americas, That it didn't exist in, in Southern Africa, it didn't exist in Asia. It was only in Europe. So it's spread out from there. So how is this just popping up, right? That, that's the question people have asked for a long time, which is why one of the things that we always think about is, well, if, is this, you know, some type of mutation? What is this? Is it coming from extraterrestrials? And also, if we are to accept there's, you know, the longstanding theory that human evolution began on the continent of Africa, right? That's where the first humans were. What are we to make of this fact, out of Africa, that theory has it that all human beings originated in Africa, southern Africa, sub-Sahara, they're all RH positive. They don't have any RH negative. Where did RH negative evolve then? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> How is that possible? If you have the beginning, so to speak, of, you know, if you go by this, this theory that's been a long-standing theory for a long time that, you know, human origin began in Africa, then if that's the case... Why was there no RH negative blood? You're talking about RH positive. People in Africa have RH positive blood. You don't find out that this even exists until possibly around Renaissance time in Europe. And it's not anywhere else. And we know this because you might say to yourself, well, how do you know that? You weren't there. Well, because of scientific study of human remains over the thousands of years of human evolution. So because of that, we're able to know that this blood type Wasn't showing up until around, again, you know, reportedly or, you know, speculatively, I guess I should say, Renaissance time in Europe. How is that possible? That's the thing. We have a conundrum here. The question must be asked, how did this appear out of nowhere? Could it be explained? Maybe it can be through some type of evolutionary mutation that took place around the 14th century in in Europe, right? I mean, it's possible or even... Like a mutation that took place through, uh, um, like an interspecies crossbreeding. Just an example, okay? Just, just consider this. If we're going to look at all the possibilities, right? And you make up your own mind. That's what we always do here. You consider this possibility. It's been discovered that a different form of human species, and I'm not making this up. You can look this up. I've, I promise you, a different form of human species bred with the uh, Neanderthal. And We've all heard of Neanderthal, right? I mean different form of of human that kind of died out in the prehistoric times. A little-known species that is referred to as the Denisovan. If you haven't heard of the Denisovan before, because I will be 100% upfront with you, and I like to think that I always am, this was not something that I was familiar with up until recently doing research for this episode, just 100% honest with you. In fact, so little is known about the Denisovan that the only reason they're named the Denisovan is because... The first fossils were found in a cave in the Denisova Valley of Siberia. They don't know what this species is. So with something like that in mind, maybe we could theorize that an occurrence like that, where you have the Neanderthal uh, intermingling, crossbreeding with this previously unknown human-type species... Maybe something like that, not maybe not necessarily that, that specific one, but something along those lines. An example of that could be where we got this Rh negative blood. Could it be that we know so little about human evolution and other possible, you know, human species that it could have possibly led to this like elongated evolutionary mutation, so to speak? Right, it takes a long time. Maybe it took a long time for this mutation to gradually progress over thousands of years in human DNA. And that would cause something like Rh negative blood to seemingly pop out of thin air like it did in Europe or could it just be aliens, right? Cause that's, <laughs> that's kind of what we always go back to. But I, in all seriousness, I think it's a fair question. Just look at the Denisovans themselves because that's always going to be the next theory we look at, is because something happened at some point to allow for this blood type to exist. That is a fact, right? We know that this blood type exists, Rh negative blood, and we know something happened along the line. Whether you want to blame, you know, some type of natural genetic mutation uh, through, you know, evolution or or geography or whatever it might be, or if you want to blame alien intervention, something happened to make this blood type come about. I mean, think about it. 15% of people have a type of blood, and we don't know how it got there. <laughs> I mean, that's really, that's that's like mind-boggling. That's insane when you think about it. If we could just go back to the Denisovans real quick, just as an example. I want to I just kind of reach back there. We think of them as an early human-like species, okay? That's what we've been told. They say, you know, human-like, like the uh, Neanderthal. But in reality... We actually have no idea who or what they are or what they were in this case. We're just going by a couple of small fossils. That's all they found of them. These fossils were centimeters long that were found in this valley, in this cave of, of the Denisova Valley in Siberia. And they found, once they found these, these bones, that they realized when they did studies on it, these bones were made up of a different DNA structure than anything that we had ever seen before. So just think about that for a second. I mean, imagine that discovery. And this was pretty recent. This is like within the past twenty years. This was to, these bones were discovered in the Denisopa Valley of Siberia. And they, get this, okay? They are actually referred to as the mystery species. That's not something you know you saw on some back channels on YouTube. That's mainstream science. They don't know what. To call them. That's why they call them the Denisovans because of where they were found. Otherwise, they have no idea what this species is. They don't know it. We don't know what this DNA is. we never seen anything like it before. So, yes, this could be an early human-like species that had been unidentified until now. Absolutely. Maybe there's numerous others that we never even knew existed. And maybe one day we're going to find out about those. Or it could be an early example of alien-human hybridization through purposeful engineering. And, the, you know, you, you, maybe you scoff at that. I don't know. But I think it's absolutely worth asking the question, why not, right? We've heard all different stories about alien-human hybridization and abduction cases and, you know, being used for, for hybridization. So if that's the case, you know, if people, tells, if people tell stories like that now in modern day, who's to say that some advanced alien civilization wasn't doing this thousands of years ago? And that's and that's what we had. The Denisovans maybe were some type of hybrid. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm just throwing it out there because the fact is, the scientific fact is that we don't know who or what they are or what they were. We don't know it's DNA we've never seen before. That we know. So if that is the case, that maybe there is some type of alien human interaction there back in prehistoric times, could we be looking at physical proof of? that type of alien intervention in our own genetic makeup when it comes to the Rh negative blood, the golden blood as it's called. Is that possible? I think it's absolutely worth asking the question, especially when you consider this type of point. Within us is the whole evolutionary development of humankind, as well as the other species that humans developed from. Extrapolating this idea If extraterrestrials had a hand in retooling our DNA, then do we also carry their genetic makeup within us as we would? So when you kind of look at that whole picture like that, right? I mean, if you just kind of take everything into account, everything we've spoken about so far and, you know, the history of human evolution, you know, being ingrained in our DNA. When you consider all these possibilities, it really does start to kind of come together when you start to think about how this might have happened, how this, you know, this blood type kind of just popped up and it certainly is not out of the realm of possibility when you start to think about all the various stories we've gone over. Like I was saying, you know, when it comes to alien abduction and experimentation, when you start to talk about, you know, some of the stories that we've covered in the past of women talking about being abducted and being experimented on and all of a sudden being pregnant and having these alien babies, we've talked About, you know, these women who actually identify, as if you go back to previous episodes, if you haven't heard all the other, you know, previous episodes, you can always go back and find them wherever you found this, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or on 850wftl.com, where all the episodes are as well, and they they all live there too. However, you found it, you could always go back and hear some of the previous ones, like when we talked about some of these women who identify as part alien, part human they say that they are in touch with that side of them where they are able to speak to their alien hybrid children who live on other planets i know it sounds laughable but i'm just telling you we've talked about it and these women they 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 exist there's big groups of them it's a it's it's like the real deal so if you consider stories like that where you're talking about you know uh, these these difficult pregnancies that women on Earth, so to speak, go through when they have the RH negative blood and their baby is positive, could that be a sign? I'm just going to throw this out there. Could that be a sign of like a, a purposeful alien engineering in that they try to make it so, you know, only negative children would thrive and be born? If it is, again, you make up your mind, but I'm just throwing the theory out. If it is alien intervention that would cause this RH negative blood, You would think that they would be, in that case, if they feel like that's the more perfect species, that they have now uh, interfered with our genetic engineering and our DNA, and they've genetically modified us to have this Rh negative blood, then maybe they would want us to breed more children that have this, you know, golden blood. And if that's the case, maybe that would be why difficult pregnancies happen when the mother is having a baby that has. Positive, Rh blood. Just throwing it out there. Is this Rh blood negative blood? The maybe a so-called missing link or even proof to that show that shows us that alien engineering has taken place in the past, now, and would take place in the future. Before we finish up here today, because I know it's been, it's been kind of heavy. got a lot, you know, a lot to think about. But it's fascinating. I mean, it really is. And again, I thank all of you, especially, uh, you know, our listener, Heather, who reached out to me on uh, Twitter, at UAPodcast. I mentioned so much about reaching out to me. I haven't told you how to reach out to me. At UAPodcast850 on Twitter. You can reach out to the show there. I always do my best to try to uh, respond and interact with anybody who takes their time to reach out to me and say, hey, here's what I think about the episode, or here's something that happened to me, or here's an idea Whatever you have on your mind, feel free to do that at eight fifty. I'm sorry, at UA Podcast. Excuse me, at UA Podcast. Eight fifty is where you can find uh, the podcast on Twitter. And you know, again, I always do my best to to answer back and anything that that you have and throw out to me there. Um, but there's something else that's worth mentioning when it comes to like common traits of those who have this Rh negative blood that I haven't spoken about yet, and that is this common link between people who have the Rh negative blood. There's this, this interesting common link of those who are highly creative and have a high IQ. Now, just bear with me here. Let me Let me throw this out at you. Oddly enough, many people who have this negative blood type also typically fall under a segment of the population that has a high IQ or even a very high IQ and are extremely creative. The best examples that I can come up with, and I'm not making this up, I, I think I, I need to say that a few times during the show because some of this stuff sounds completely wild, but uh, what I'm telling you right now is, is absolutely uh, true. There are examples in the world of entertainment of famous people, very creative people who have this, this RH negative blood and they share these commonalities of being very creative and very smart, one or the other or both. Here are some names I'm going to throw out at you. Kurt Cobain, lead singer from Nirvana, Jim Morrison from The Doors. Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Amy Winehouse. Now, let me just stop there real quick because I did those five first on purpose because obviously all five, all five of those artists are no longer with us and they're all part of the 27 club. And if you've never heard of that, it's odd. It's like all these famous people who all passed away at the age of 27 for one reason or another. I know all those names I gave, they all passed away in different, under different circumstances, um, but all at the age of 27, so I don't know. I just thought that was weird that all five of them would be, you know, in this same commonality of the Rh negative blood. But other names, people who have or had Rh negative blood, who are you know are still with us or weren't or no longer with us: Scarlett Johansson, Marilyn Monroe, Johnny Depp, Jack Nicholson, three of the Beatles, including Paul McCartney, John Lennon, and Ringo Starr. I'll go on here because it's amazing: Leonardo DiCaprio, Elon Musk. Einstein, Steve Jobs, Jim Henson, the creator of the Muppets, for goodness sakes, Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones, Ozzy Osbourne, Ronaldo, the world-famous soccer star, or football, depending on what country you're listening to this podcast in, and amazingly, too, many former presidents and world leaders that include or did include Queen Elizabeth II, Princess Diana, now King Charles III. Who was you know Prince Charles before Prince William and Harry, Jimmy Carter, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Dwight D Eisenhower? Who, by the way, we've done we've talked about him before about how he may or may not have met with the alien greys back in the 1950s. But again, that was in a previous episode. If you want to go back and listen to that one, uh, John F. Kennedy, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan. No, I'm not done. George W. Bush and Bill Clinton, amongst others. I could keep going and going, but I don't want to bore you. All of those people have RH negative blood. So am I the only one who finds it kind of strange that only 15% Okay, let me go back to that number. Only 15% of the population in the world has RH negative blood. But all of those people that I just named, past and present, all fall into that 15 percentile? What are the chances of that? Those geniuses. Those creative artists, I mean, everybody that the presidents, everybody that I named, <laughs> would all fall in to that small segment of the population out of billions and billions of people throughout time, where they all fit into that 15 percentile of people who have RH negative blood, the golden blood. I mean, honestly, it's, I mean, it must be astronomical that they all fit into that category. So, just saying. If, if this was alien engineering and they were trying to create some type of, you know, elite race or whatever, that's a pretty good list to go by if that's what they were trying to do, if that is what's going on here. Lastly, there is something that had been bugging me a while. While, while I was researching all this, I couldn't help but to keep coming back to the question, why was this blood type only found in Europe, right? We talked about that earlier. Why was it only found there to start with? Could there be any connection at all to the timeline that they spoke about around, you know, the 1400s in the 15th century that is said to be the supposed, you know, starting line, I guess you could say, of this bloodline? Well, make of this what you will. But in my research, I found that it just so happens that the one and only Leonardo da Vinci had a famous disappearance that supposedly dates back to the 1480s. Is it possible that this event that you're about to hear about real quick, and maybe I'll try to elaborate on this event itself in a future episode, but is it possible that this event had something to do with the rise of negative blood? Here's what happened. The story of the cave, it's very likely that it happened around 1480 since it appears that that's the moment at which This is written in the codex. The fact that Leonardo chooses to record this encounter with the cave, I think indicates that it had uh, a significant impact on the artist. All right, so what happened in a cave, right? You're probably like, "What, what the heck does that mean? Well, it's documented from Leonardo da Vinci himself that dating back to somewhere in the 1480s, he disappeared. Leonardo da Vinci had missing time. Nobody knew where he went. He went into this cave... And you know, somewhere in the Italian region, and was not seen for two years. Two years. Da Vinci was gone. Think about that. I bet you didn't learn that in your history books. He was gone. What happened to him? Where was he? Well, we don't know. So that's what I'm saying. Does that have some type of connection? His disappearance for two years, mysterious disappearance, and he comes back. Could that have any type of connection? I'm just saying. Not saying it does, but I'm just looking at the timeline around the 1480s. They say that's when you know they start to see the the rise of this orange negative blood, and then they say it was only in Europe. Obviously, Da Vinci was in Europe, so just just throwing it out there. Kind of odd, a strange coincidence. If the if you know, some people say there's no such thing as coincidence. Maybe I'm connecting too many dots. Maybe I'm onto something. It's up to you. What do you think? Right? And also, let's face it. They don't get much smarter or creative than Da Vinci. (laughs) So, just saying. Now, all that said, I'm looking forward to next time, because that'll do it for now on this episode, but next time we're going to talk about the Montauk Mysteries. There is so much to cover and uncover from the Montauk projects and everything that was going on in that region of the United States. So... We're going to get into the Montauk mysteries next time on episode 65. And trust me, there is plenty to say about that. And I'm looking forward to finally digging into that. Cause that's something that has been on my list for a long time now, but until then, Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode and all the episodes that you've come across of UAP. You can always follow the show at UAPodcast850 on Twitter and on 850wftl.com. I was made aware that a lot of our pictures are not there anymore, so I apologize for that. Uh, Some of the older pictures that we had on there are kind of gone right now, but you can still find the episodes there on 850wftl.com. Of course, Apple and Spotify, wherever you get the podcast. Please subscribe, rate it. Hopefully you're enjoying it. And I can't wait to talk to you again on the next episode of UAP and plus a lot of things in the works. I'll just say that a lot of things in the works. So to stay up to date on what's going on, you can follow again at UAPodcast850 on Twitter. Give me your thoughts, any of your stories that you have that you want to relate to me on the the show. And I can, you know, maybe throw it up here on the podcast. You never know how it works out. But I will talk to you again next time on the Unidentified Alien Podcast. It's Stephen Diener right here. Have a great one.